Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with the lovely Sherry Malka. Sherry, thank you so much for being with us today. Sherry is the proprietor and vintner of Malka Estates, and we are here at your winery. Yes. So let's jump in okay, and get to know you. What was one of your first professional jobs? Well, um, I started off in not necessarily in wine industry, as many people. Um, I graduated with a degree in microbiology, so I was more in California doing um, studies on uh, immunology, and it was really kind of a stressful job, and I decided that it was time to put my name into a headhunter agency to see what else was out there. And that is where I ended up with my first wine job, which is at uh, Ridge Vineyards in Cupertino. So you're kind of a, you were kind of a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, microbiology is not one but of those. Uh, <laughs> sexy. Right. Areas. Yes. <laughs> but you're a beautiful nerd. <laughs> well, thank you. Stunning. <laughs> Did you ever dream that you would be, uh, that you would own a winery in the Napa Valley? Never. Never. And, it, you know, it's been a long road. Um, little baby steps is what Philippe and I have done. Uh, the winery itself is only three years young. So, but no, I never in a million years would have thought, nor would my mother have thought that I was going to marry a Frenchman <laughs> with a name like Cherie. So. Right. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about all that in a little bit. Okay. So, but let's stay focused on your career. Okay. You have had the Melka brand for a while. Correct. So why don't you talk about starting the brand and uh, what your role is? Um, okay. So we started... Uh, with our own labels in 1996. So it has been quite some time. But at that time, I was working for um, Beaulieu Vineyards and Philippe was um, starting his consulting business. So it was really kind of a business that was on the side. It was folding envelopes, you know, on the bed at night. It wasn't really a viable business. It was just something that we were, wanted to dip our hat in and see, you know, how, how we could do with not owning any kind of land or vineyard. So we really enjoyed it, and it really actually taught me a great side of the industry, not just production, which is the only thing that I did know. It was creating a website, you know, branding, all those, all those things. So it's been a, a long evolution of learning the business both sides, and today I am in production, um, but I'm also going on trips for sales. I do sales trips. Um, we make branding decisions as a team, Philippe, Sylvie, and I. Um, so we pretty much do everything. I write the tech notes. I, 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 I do it all. We're a small company, so you have to wear many hats, as you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what do you think has been one of the most challenging parts of owning a winery here in the Napa Valley? Um, well, getting the winery was its own challenge through Napa County. So I'm happy to um, also say that now the Board of Supervisors is going to streamline a small winery application process, but that was not the case for us. So that was a very huge challenge, a big obstacle, just to be able to get the permit for this winery. 
Um, and then managing a winery is also about all the compliance. And those are things that are the unglamorous side of, <coughs> of running a winery. Um, but they're essential because you need to be compliant with what, whatever that be, insurance or OSHA or whatnot. But Was it your experience with the permitting process that led the government to make those changes for small wineries? Um, it might have been. I mean, we were one of the smallest projects out there, and we had so much controversy, and we really have no idea why, because we were big stewards of the land. Um, for 20 years, our kids in the, in the school system here, that we've done many, many donations. So it was really bewildering to us why we had so much controversy around it. But, um, but we've got it, and we're happy. We, <laughs> we survived <laughs> the process. <laughs> well, and it's a beautiful winery. Thank you. Spectacular. Let's talk about the wine itself. Okay. What makes Melka wines so special? Well, I think, um, you know, the word gets thrown around a lot in Napa Valley, but um, we are truly based on terroir-driven. So the wines that we're making um, are all single vineyard specific, except for one. We have one wine that is 1,500 cases, and it is a combination of vineyards in the Napa Valley. But other than that, we like to explore sites that really ring true to us, and then we make the wine from that site. And what is the case production? So each of those single vineyards, the max is about 350, 400 cases. And the, the smallest is this estate right here. It is a under two acre vineyard of 100% Cabernet, and we only make 80 to 100 cases of that one. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody wants to come to Melka, estates mm -hmm. how do they go about doing that we are appointment only um, and so that's something on the website we also have a um, uh, a tasting confirmation contract that we that we send out to anybody who wants to come and we only do two or three visits a day so very small during the course of your career sherry mm -hmm. has there been someone that's been instrumental in guiding you or mentoring you along the way um, you know, I'll have to say because my first job was with Paul Draper, um, he was probably the biggest influencer along the way and all the jobs that I've had, the winemakers or the general managers have had their influence on me, but I would have to say that Paul Draper was um, by far um, the most gracious and I, I learned the most from him. He was the kind of guy who absolutely wanted a woman on the tasting panel because he appreciates that women taste things differently. And he led those tastings in such a great way. It wasn't him talking about what he found in the wine. He would go around the table first, and then he would give his opinion. So it was, um, it was very educational from every aspect, you know, in production for me, not just the tasting part of it, but also the analysis, since I'm self-taught. So Top moment of your career so far? Oh, boy, top moment. That is a tough one. There's just so many, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so blessed. I mean, I wake up in the Napa Valley. I live on the property where the winery is, and we've got beautiful views, and um, we're, we just feel so blessed and so lucky. So top moment. I, you know, I would have to say um, probably um, our first ever highest bid barrel in auction Napa Valley, which was for our 2010 Jumping Goat, and that was in the year 2012. And that was just ecstatic. Oh my gosh. I think the compilation of the 10 barrels was 120,000. So, are there 10 cases, not 10 barrels? 10 cases. Wow. So, yeah. Very good. <laughs> you said that you work together as a team with Philippe yes. and Sylvie. Correct. 
you know, how do you enjoy that? Um, you know, it's <laughs> any husband and wife team needs a third person. <laughs> that's probably true. That's, it's just a, an absolute Break the necessary. Tie. Yes. So when we do our tastings, um, it's always good to have another opinion. And we also have the assistant winemaker here um, who, who participates in those. So when it comes to which wine we want to put in distribution, or are we going to keep this one only for direct-to-consumer, um, all those kinds of decisions, it's, it's better to make them as a team, and everybody has an opinion. And where does, who does Sylvie typically side with? <laughs> well, she and I are here all day, every day. And Philippe pops in in the morning, and then he has his consulting things, and then he's here in the afternoon. Or he obviously is here for uh, major tastings that we're doing here. But um, Sylvie and I pretty much run the show. We make the decisions for the branding because we are the ones out in the market. Mm -hmm. Poor Philippe, I mean, he can't really go into the market anymore before Melka Estates because he just gets questioned on all of his other brands. And whoever we're trying to sell wine to, they kind of lose focus because right. he's just so charming. And then the conversation goes somewhere else and all of a sudden, we didn't sell any. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that could be. Yeah. How that could be. So what's ahead for Melka Estates? Um, you know, for right now, it's status quo. We did a little extension on the winery last year. Um, we have nine different wines that we're making, which is by far for us plenty. I really don't want to expand anymore. So um, what's next, I think, is really... Um, dialing in exactly which states we need to have a presence in. We're only in 12 states right now. We don't have enough wine to be in 50, nor do I want to spend my time traveling that much. Some destinations are nice, like Hawaii. Sure. <laughs> but um, I think just really dialing in our distribution and getting that just fine-tuned is, is the next steps for us right now. When somebody comes here to taste at Malka Estates, can you describe the experience sure. for our listeners? Um, we like to have things completely set up. This I, It's too bad I didn't have a little setup for you, but we have tasting cards. We have a brochure, our membership. We have our logoed chocolates. So the minute a guest walks in, they feel as though um, we're very high-end and we're professional. This isn't just kind of a belly-up-to-the-bar kind of tasting. Um, it's planned out. The wines are decanted a good four hours ahead of time. So we do use Coravin so that we're not wasting wine, but we, we, we Coravin that wine into decanter so it has a time to breathe. Um, and most of the time there's a good conversation with the guests before they're coming so that we know exactly what kind of wines they're interested in tasting among those nine wines because we will never pour all nine at one time, <laughs> of course. So we usually have a welcome wine, and that's um, handed to them as they're standing up, and we discuss the property. And then it's a formal seated tasting for another three or four wines. What tends to be the most popular? They're all spectacular, <laughs> but what tends to be the most popular I these would, days? Yeah, I would say um, we make three different Matisse wines that are from the Napa Valley, each one of those being a vineyard-specific. Um, and I would have to say the two most popular amongst all the wines are two of the Matisse wines, which is Martinez Vineyard, which is a property up on top of uh, Pritchard Hill, and then the Jumping Goat Vineyard, which is here in St. Helena on Valley Floor near Spotswood. 
And can you define the tasting difference, the profile difference of each of those wines? Absolutely. So to start with Jumping Goat, since we've been doing that one the longest, and I must say it's named Jumping Goat for Leo, which is an eclectic little goat on the property. Um, and it is valley floor and river bench soil types. So it always gives us the same kind of wine. It's very, it's, it's a blend. It's a Cabernet, uh, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. Um, but it always gives us a very feminine style of Cabernet. So it is more perfumey, it's textured and layered. Um, I don't want to say soft, because it's definitely got um, ageability and tannin to it, um, but it really is more of an elegant style rather than a one that's kind of in your face. And conversely, Martinez, with the soil types up there being these giant, you know, iron-rich boulders, um, the Cab, Cab Franc and Petit Verdot blend from that particular vineyard is really definitely more of an in-your-face kind of Cabernet. It's, it's what a lot of people are coming to the Napa Valley for. They're looking for these big, voluminous, uh, tannic, ageability-type wines, and the Martinez is, is, is definitely suits that. You know, I like to age some wines. Mm -hmm. Do you think consumers are still doing that? You know, I think consumers are consuming, and I think collectors are aging. I think collectors um, are smart in the sense that they will buy enough of one wine to be able to drink it on its release, mm -hmm. try it another two or three years later, maybe at its seven, eight year peak, and then decide right right then to how much longer he's going to keep it. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to take a left turn here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> if you didn't work in the wine business... And you could do anything in the world. What would your dream job be? Oh my goodness, that is a tough one. Um, you know, I would probably go back into the medical side of things, but do it dream more. job really? Yeah, Medi nursing, <laughs> nursing, nursing. I think. Wow, well, that's yeah. admirable. Yeah, I mean, I I like science, and I know that the wine chemistry side of things is, you know, it's different every year, but it's pretty cut and dry, right? whereas there's not a whole, I mean, I miss the interface with, with, with people. You on interface. a medical side. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm with customers, that's, that's for sure. But, right. um, but yeah, helping people in, in, in the medical field would have been fun. That's, uh, like I said, admirable for sure. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. You love wine, and at Total Wine & More, you can count on getting the service you deserve. Their team of fun and friendly experts are extensively trained and even travel everywhere from California to Europe to meet the producers themselves. Stop by, check out over 8,000 bottles, and see why those who know wine always drink interesting at Total Wine & More. Well, let's shift things Um, or maybe what I should say is when you married Philippe mm -hmm. and you decided to build a home, how did you choose St. Helena? Well, um, when we first started in the Napa Valley, we were actually living in Napa in a condo. And when I got pregnant with our first child, Jeremy, we decided it was time to be looking for a home. And so we really based our decision, our geographic decision in the Napa Valley based on the schools where we would like to raise our kids. 
So that's how we chose St. Helena. We ended up buying our first home in, in the city. Okay. In the city of St. Helena. The, city of <laughs> Saint the big Population <laughs> 5,000. <laughs> well, downtown, so you could walk or right. bike to school and all that it's stuff. It's so charming. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I love it so much. So if we took a step inside your home here, mm -hmm. what would we see? How do, how do you describe your decorating style? Um, let's see. Since I just redid my cabinets, it's a perfect timing. Um, we went for, when we moved here on the property with the winery, we wanted to go for less house, more sustainable. So the home that you would walk into is called a blue home. It is a prefabricated home. So it was, um, the, the, the style behind it was from an architect in San Francisco called Michelle Kaufman, and she wanted uh, the design to reflect a connection to nature, so it's a lot of sliding glass doors. It's glass pretty much all around, and it's one big great room for your kitchen, living, and dining, and oh. then the other half of the pod is like the bedrooms and the bathrooms. So. Hopefully, when you when you saw the house, you would think, "Oh, wow, this is looks very sustainable." Um, but inside, decoration-wise, I think we're we have that mix of um, kind of contemporary and country at the same time, because we love art. Every wall that is not glass has a piece of art on it. So, describe some of your art and the decor, um, colors, colors. Yeah, um, we have. A lot of grays and rich blues um, and yellows. Um, and because there wasn't a whole lot of flexibility with the blue home, the way things are kind of structured, we did some add-ons that are kind of our own personal touch. Like on the bench side of things, we created like a piano bar. So we could put about six to eight bar stools okay. around to, for a more casual kind of dining experience. Very fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we had fun with it. And the art itself is um, a couple of paintings from our French uh, artists that we know. Do you have one piece of art that has significant meaning? Um, yes, actually, there is one. Um, the family friend artist, Michel Hakala, he's actually the one who did our very first Matisse label. We've since changed it. It was a decade long with that particular um, piece of art, um, which hangs in the winery. But the one at my home is another piece that's done by him. And he is from the Basque region in France. And so the piece is actually called Le Vague de Miami, which is the wave of Miami. But you see Miami in the, s in the distance as the skyline, but there are Basque fishermen that are kind of on this wave. So I know that sounds really strange, but it's it's a very stunning painting and it's a it's a large one. It took us a lot to to bring it over overseas from France, but but that's probably my favorite my favorite piece. Is it oil or Yes, it's oil. Yeah. Well, so they could have taken it off the can off the and the frame. Roll, and yeah, and yeah. rolled it up. Yep. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it sounds spectacular. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? I know you work, 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 work. <laughs> <laughs> no. But do you have any hobbies? Do you collect anything? Do you play a sport I don't know about? <laughs> or something I don't just Could I don't be. know? Yeah, you need to get away from work, of course. I think everybody needs to have some kind of uh, you know, decompression. Um, for Philippe, that's surfing. And for me, it's my, my running shoes. So wherever we travel, he gets to bring <laughs> a surfboard with him, and I pack my running shoes. So... So I'm a runner, and I recently picked up golf. 
which is a very difficult and frustrating sport, but or maybe it's so not even a sport. So you got to tell me, <laughs> why did you decide to pick up golf? Well, my son is a fabulous golfer. Oh, he started okay. as like a little junior linkster, and so he is just so amazing to watch. And then Philippe picked it up, and oh. they were golfing together all the time. So I figured now that our son has grown and gone away, I would not have anything to do with Philippe. He would be gone golfing on weekends. So I took up the sport so we could do something together as well. And are you enjoying it? <laughs> Am I any good? <laughs> Am I any good? You know, I always tell Philippe it's never firing on all cylinders. You know, you can have a short game or your putting is good, but but it's golf. That's what it is. So we have we have fun when we go out together. So well, golf courses are beautiful. They are, and they're in beautiful locations. Indeed, indeed. So, so that's it's a bonus. Exactly. And you get to spend time with your family. Indeed. So. Yep. That's exactly it. So that's kind of our 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 go to. Whether or not we jump in the car and go to Bodega or um, just here at Meadowood, which we're very luck- fortunate to be members of. So it's a beautiful little course. Perfect. Yeah. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you, something that you did in your past, a language that you might speak, or just something out of the ordinary? Um, Well, French is kind of a a language requirement (laughs) in my marriage. Right. Um, I guess might be, I think... Recent, the most recent big news is that I just got my French nationality. Oh, very cool. So I will be going down to the consulate in Los Angeles next month to do some type of interview or test of some sort. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But, I mean, the kids are all obviously French nationals, but I didn't ask for it until 25 years of marriage. So that's a new one. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, does that mean something more than dual citizenship or? No, nope, nothing more than dual citizenship. Okay. But I mean, I think that gives us some um, opportunity for retirement and health care and all kinds of things that, you know, come to mind later in life when we may end up retiring over in France, for all sure. we know. Well, how, how fabulous is that? And yeah. what a great accomplishment, too. So, yeah. See, you surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> Bucket list items. Oh, boy. Do you have one or two that you can share? You know, um, or, or are you living every bucket list item? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty darn lucky, I have to tell you. But I, I have not stepped foot in the Southern Hemisphere. So that is, um, that is definitely on, on the bucket list, whether that be South America or Australia, New Zealand, all of the above, actually. I would love to, to explore a little bit more of the Southern Hemisphere. So Why? Um, it's a part of the world I know nothing about. I mean, we go to Europe every summer to see Philippe's family, and when we are over there, we typically try to do some you know, adventure of some kind, whether it's Prague or Vienna or something, just to explore. Um, but I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere, so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to. My sister-in-law is from Buenos Aires, so it would be great to go to some of these you know, amazing cities in these countries that have not only great wine-growing regions, um, but just fabulous food and another, another culture to right. explore. Yeah. What makes you happy? Where do you get your enjoyment? Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. I, I'm easily pleased. I'm happy with a good meal. I'm happy with a good glass of wine. I'm happy with a quick conversation with my daughter. Um, it doesn't take much for me to, to be happy because, um, Life is just too short to walk around angry and upset all the time. <laughs> so well, I agree. I have, yeah, I have very little that, that, that rubs me the wrong way. 
Are you fulfilled as a result? Yes, I am. I am. I mean, I think having the winery now um, has really helped people understand that I am an active part of this business, not just writing checks or uh, or whatnot, but that we're, you know, I'm in production and I know how to do a pump over and people see me on a forklift and say, wow, <laughs> she actually is participating in, in, in the industry. So I think a lot of people just assume that it's, it's all about Philippe because he's got such an amazing reputation um, and... I don't blame them, quite frankly. I mean, a lot of people just didn't know that about me, that I am pretty hands-on. Well, that might simply be because you were behind the scenes a little bit. Very true. And now you're putting yourself, you know, more front and center. That's very true. And you deserve to be front (laughs) and center because you're you're an amazing lady. Well, thank you. We're in wine country. Yes. We talked about your home. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, other than Melka Wines, Mm -hmm. What do you like to drink? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, we try to stay away from the local stuff just because we feel like it skews our palates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although there are so many wonderful producers here, and even amongst all of you know Philippe's clients, I'm not going to say I don't pop open a bottle of Roy or you know Donna Estates or something. But um, we do try to keep our cellar kind of stocked with um, either Spanish or French or Italian, European, Old World. Um, we like to try new stuff as well, but it's, it's, we try to keep more of the old world stuff in our cellar. I agree. I tried, I tried to do that too. Yeah. You begin to develop a house palette. Yeah. Or, uh, an Appalachian palette. Right. <laughs> a Napa it, Valley it, palette. Exactly. It's true. Best trip that you've ever been on? You know, I would have to say it was, um, I, you know, I one of your best one of trips. my best trips, I, I would have to say, really was uh, traipsing around Prague. That's a city that I absolutely adored, and we happened to be there at the time of the World Cup, and France was in it. So even though we weren't in his homeland, uh, we were able to watch that, you know, in in a bar and some young French kids singing the Marseillaise and whatnot. But Prague was just an amazing city to to traipse around. Just absolutely loved it. That sounds fun. Yeah, and. Lastly, before we wrap things up, and I should have asked this earlier, I think you should tell us the story of how you met Philippe. That's a good one. Um, So as I've stated, my first wine job was with um, Paul Draper at Ridge Vineyards, and this was back in the early 90s. And Philippe actually was sent over to do uh, some soil studies from France at the property of Dominus, which was the Moex company and Robin Lale at the time. So the general manager there told Philippe he really needed to go down and taste some of the Ridge wines um, because they were like first growths. So the little Frenchman went down to Cupertino and he actually ended up getting hired by Paul Draper just to dig some soil pits and take a look at the different elevations um, within Ridge, because there's the Jim Samara Ranch, which is at 2,300 feet, and then the Montebello Ridge, which is a little bit higher. So he actually, the way I met him is he walked into my lab holding a rock, and he was looking for hydrochloric acid because he wanted to test it to see if it was limestone. So that is how, <laughs> that's and how w- I met And he was mesmerized by your well, beauty. Well, I think it was probably a, a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> he was charming as ever, mm-hmm. and... Um, Paul let him stay at his house while he was traveling, so he invited me to dinner, and, um, you know, little by little, we just grew 
affectionate for each other, and then he was leaving, going back to France, and he invited me to join. So I did. I went to Paris with him, and then I met his family um, in the south of France. So it was, um, it was meant to be. I mean, from, from the beginning, I think we both knew. That's a great story. <laughs> Thank I you. love that. And I now we are 25 years later. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was meant to be. Yes. All over a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> well, Sherry, I'd like to wrap things up with five quick questions. Okay. They are random questions. The idea here is don't give it a lot of thought. Okay. <laughs> They're very lighthearted. Alrighty. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Tesla Model 3. What's your favorite song to dance to? Prince. Song. Oh. <laughs> 1999. How's there that? There you go. <laughs> What's the last piece of candy you ate? Oh, my goodness. That's a tough one since I've been on keto for a while. <laughs> um, probably a Snickers. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Um, probably Meryl Streep. What's one of your favorite movies? Um, recent or classic any, or any movie? Any favorite The Green movie. Book. Is Which one? The Green Book. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, it's just intellectually Happy. stimulating, and I just love that they, they, they attack the race issue in such a great way. It was, I loved it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love you. <laughs> you too, <laughs> so Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. today. Thank you for including me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women. <laughs>